Um, can we just go ahead and open in a Hail Mary? I'd love to entrust this night to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Awesome. I'm so glad you guys are all here tonight. Um, it's an honor to be with you. Like Andrew said, my name is Mary Catherine, and I am originally from Texas, but I moved here to Louisiana in July, and so it's been a really wonderful eight months to say I'm a Louisiana convert. I love being here. Um, yeah, so recently, last week, I was at daily mass at Our Lady of Mercy, which is just a Catholic church like 10 minutes down the road. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience where you're just feeling like really holy in mass and um, you're like tuned into what the, the readings are happening and you're like vibing with the priest and you're like, yes, like I understand everything you're saying and you're just like, someone please like take me up to heaven right now because I am holy. Um, that is pretty much the complete opposite experience of what happened last week when I was at mass. I was so distracted and... Um, yeah, I just, for whatever reason, I like could not pay attention. If you guys have been to Our Lady of Mercy, they have really beautiful decorations, and literally the altar is like full of flowers. Like someone actually, I think, planted a garden. It was crazy. So I was like looking at that kind of, and then um, their baptismal candle right here, this is nice, like four foot, but at Our Lady of Mercy, I'm not exaggerating for the sake of this story, it is actually 10 feet tall. It's giant. And so I just was spending a good portion of the beginning of Mass just like looking at this candle, thinking like, how did they get that that tall? So anyways, I was very distracted. And um, the lector gets up to read the first reading. And he says two names within the reading. The names are Annas and Caiaphas. And for whatever reason, like my heart kind of starts pounding a little bit. Uh, and I'm feeling a little afraid, which for me, is not a normal experience that um, I have at Mass. I'm not normally afraid, but for whatever reason, I'm like, why are these two names making me feel like a little PTSD, you know? Uh, and so I start paying attention to the reading, and it's from the book of Acts, and it's about Peter and John, and they just healed a crippled man in the temple. And um, this is after, right, Jesus died and resurrected, and then he was with them for 40 days, then he ascended into heaven, they waited nine days, sorry, I'm giving you kind of a timeline here, but they waited nine days for the Holy Spirit to come, and then we enter the story right here, where Peter and John heal this man, and everyone is like, oh my gosh, what's happening? This is incredible. And the scriptures say thousands of people are beginning to convert to the faith. And so there's an uproar in Jerusalem, and the high priest, right, the Jewish religious leaders of the time, particularly Annas and Caiaphas, have them arrested and brought before the entire Sanhedrin, which is um, like the Jewish uh, priestly class. And Peter and John are kind of like going off. The, the, the priests are asking them like, why, are you, why did you heal this man? Like in whose name did you do this? And Peter, it says Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he tells the priest, he says, you are the ones that crucified Jesus. Like you guys killed him. But God raised him from the dead, and, um, and it's in his name that we healed this man. And so as I was, like, sitting here listening to the reading, I'm like, this is amazing. Um, and the reason why I was afraid at those two names, Annas and Caiaphas, right, are because those are the two men that we hear about in scriptures who actually put, who condemned Jesus to death. Um, or they're the ones that they brought Jesus in front of Annas for his trial, 
And then the scriptures say, Caiaphas was the man that counseled the Jews. It was better for one man to die than the people. So right, these are the two men that put Jesus to death. And literally a week ago on Good Friday, uh, we heard the scriptures where Peter totally denied Jesus and John ran away and betrayed him. Um, So from one week, right, Good Friday, we have the disciples, Peter and John, totally running away, and they're afraid and fear. They don't even want to acknowledge Jesus. And then a week later at Mass, right, I'm hearing this account of Peter and John literally preaching the gospel boldly, telling these two same men that killed Jesus or, like, wanted him to die. They're telling him, like, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, what happened in their lives that from one week to the next, like in Mass, we're hearing just a totally different version of the story. Like, what happened to them? Why are they evangelizing? Why are they living mission? Um, there doesn't really seem to be a great reason. Um, and I think that's, that's the question tonight that I want to talk about um, and dive into here with you guys, is why do we live mission? Um, and what happens to cause that type of transformation that we're willing to boldly proclaim the Lord to people? And for Peter and John, I think that there's really only one, one thing that happened to them that caused this like black and white transformation. And the thing that happened to them is that they came face to face with the resurrected Christ. They came face to face with the resurrected Christ. That's really the only thing that changes for them when they deny Jesus to when they preach him boldly and they proclaim him. Because coming face to the resurrected Christ, right, there's so many implications to that truth. That Jesus, he rises from the dead, and he not only brings, like, his mercy and his forgiveness to them, but also his resurrection frees them from their sins and from their separation from God. For us, too, right, um, when we see Jesus risen from the dead, we see, like, the worst, most horrific event in human history— God himself being tortured and died on a cross and dying on a cross, that event is transformed in Jesus' resurrection to bring about our um, ability to be in eternal communion with the Lord. The worst event becomes the greatest gift for human humankind. And when we see Jesus resurrected, we also see in our own lives, right? It's not just like this theory of like, oh, like this is a great gift for humankind, you know? It's very personal to us too. It's that the things in my life that are literally killing me, the things that I suffer with, maybe the sense of unworthiness or loneliness, the ways that I have wounded myself through my sin or my own choices that have led to hurting other people, like those things that are actually the most destructive forces in my life, God can transform them. Because that's what coming face to face with the resurrected Christ means in our own lives that we can experience resurrection and redemption and restoration if we allow ourselves to gaze at the Lord um, in his glorified state. So for us, right, it's not enough to just have this, like, knowledge in our head that the tomb is empty. We have to actually have a personal encounter with the Lord. Um, And we see this, right, with Peter and John. So on Easter morning, if we, like, rewind back from their encounter um, where they're where they're preaching the gospel. So we run to Easter morning. They hear the news that the tomb is empty, and they run, and they go, and they see that the burial cloths are in the tomb and that Jesus is not there. He had, been, he had died on Friday, and then on Sunday morning, they're coming to the tomb. 
And so they see that the tomb is empty, but then, yeah, they don't actually go out and like preach the gospel and like heal people. The scriptures say that then the disciples returned home. Womp womp. That's what uh, my roommates and I do. Like if someone's having a bad day, we're like, oh, womp womp. That's kind of how I feel when I read that line in scripture. I'm like, oh, they just returned home. Like, yeah, there's nothing within them that like compels them to go out and to share the news that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because there's, there's only a knowledge in their head that the tomb is empty. There hasn't yet been a personal encounter for them with the risen Christ. That doesn't happen until later in the evening. Uh, the disciples are locked. They say It says they are locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews. So they're hiding and they're afraid. And Jesus, in his glorified state, he comes and he enters the room. And he shows them his wounds. And then he tells them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So we see, right, that there is this connection from encountering the risen Christ face to face to being sent on mission to other people, to being sent to share the good news and receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a confession to make. About 10 years ago, I was a believer. I loved Justin Bieber. Um, I know that might not be uh, very scandalous, but it is a little, I'm sort of ashamed of it. I one time missed a confirmation class in high school to uh, go watch his documentary in the movie theaters. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I don't actually think I've even gone to confession about that. I don't know if that's a sin, but anyways, probably not my best decision as a high schooler. Um, but I, I loved Justin Bieber, and not so much anymore, but he, he, is, he has come out with a new album. If you guys have heard it, it's really wonderful. Um, but actually, like, his album that he came out with a few weeks ago, it's great. But there's a smaller, it's called an EP. It's just like a, a half album, kind of. Um, and it's titled Freedom. And Justin Bieber right now, I don't know if you guys know, he is, like, the number one artist in the entire world. He's at the top of the Spotify charts. He is, like, the biggest name right now in the world on a public platform for music. And this EP that he has out, there, it's basically a worship album, uh, if you've listened to it. Like, he, he explicitly proclaims that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. Um, there's, like, it's, it's really phenomenal, and it's incredibly beautiful. And um, it's just very evident that Justin Bieber has encountered the risen Christ face-to-face because he can't help but share and to testify to what he has seen and what he has encountered. And... Um, as someone recently said, it's like when someone hits you with the Mack truck, right? Like your whole life has to be different. And it's not just that someone was like, oh, Justin, like you should write a few worship songs because now you like know God, right? Like That's not what happens in our own lives either. It's not just something where it's like, okay, like, I guess I'll like share about Jesus because I kind of grew up with some type of faith or I think that Christianity, like I want to be a Christian or like that's not, that's not what happens. Um, it's that we have to like encounter the Lord and then share, share from that life that we've received. We cannot just have knowledge that the tomb is empty. We have to meet him. The risen Christ also, when we encounter him face to face, he reveals to ourselves who we are. He reveals our identity to ourselves. So the church, we talk about the Paschal mystery, which is the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and the Paschal mystery, the church teaches, there's two parts to it. There's the death of Jesus on the cross, and there's his resurrection from the dead. His death liberates us from sin, right? It frees us from our sins, but it's his resurrection that opens up to us a pathway of new life in the Holy Spirit. Um, and we see this, like this new path of life is being brought into the family of God, being adopted and being made sons and daughters of the Father. 
And so this is incredibly important for us. Like when we're asking this question, like why mission? Why would we evangelize? Why would we share the Lord? Um, it's because like we receive our identity from, from Jesus. As he rises from the dead, he invites us into his family. He tells the disciples, right? Like my God is your God. Like I'm going to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. So we can't, unless we know who we are, we cannot be sent. We can't be sent to other people unless we receive our own identity. And um, as I was like kind of preparing this talk and thinking about that point, right? Like I have to know who I am before I can even tell someone else about, about the Lord and what he's done in my life. Um, I was reflecting on, like I went to the University of Texas, and I, which is not incredibly popular here at LSU, but uh, I'm a proud Longhorn. And I studied English literature and I loved my major because I got to like dive really deep into all sorts of stories and classical works from like Shakespeare and the Canterbury Tales. And in one class I even read The Hunger Games, which was really exciting. But um, I loved getting to really encounter deeply the power of stories and the power of, yeah, a good work of literature or film or music to really like shape um, my own beliefs and my own understanding of things. I think stories are really powerful. So one of my favorite stories actually that um, I didn't get to study in class, but I kind of go back to over and over again because it is just a wellspring of truth and wisdom. There's just so much I think that we can learn from this particular story in general. So that story is um, the 1994 Academy Award winning film, The Lion King. And if you have not seen The Lion King in a while, I will give you a quick refresher. Uh, it is about a young lion cub, Simba, who he is set to inherit this kingdom from his father, Mufasa. But before he can grow up, his evil uncle, Scar, um, kills his father in jealousy, and then he blames it on Simba. So Simba runs away in exile, and he thinks that his father's death is his fault. And he doesn't return to the Pride Lands um, and he stays in the jungle with Timon and Pumbaa, Hakuna Matata, no worries. Um, I'm not going to sing that song, so I hope you remember that. But anyway, so Simba grows up in the Pride Land, or in um, the jungle, away from his home. And um, midway through the story, right, we see Rafiki, who is like this baboon character. He encounters Simba in the jungle. And Rafiki, interestingly enough, um, he is like the religious figure, like the shaman kind of, um, or we could say like the priest figure. I hope that's not bad to say. I didn't really vet that with anyone, but uh, so take that with a grain of salt. But he, he even sort of like baptizes Simba at the beginning, right? He like puts a symbol over his, um, his forehead and he raises him up. So he is like the spiritual figure in this movie. And he meets Simba in the jungle and he tells Simba like, oh, your father, he's still alive. Simba, of course, like, doesn't believe him. He's like, no, my father, he died a long time ago. But Rafiki is really insistent. He's like, no, come with me. I'm going to show you that your father's alive. So they run through the jungle, and they end up getting to this pond. And Rafiki tells Simba, look down there. Like, that's where your father is. So Simba looks over into the pond, and he's, like, filled with this expectation, right, that his dad is still alive. And he looks over, and he just sees his own reflection. And he tells Rafiki, like, that's not my dad. Like, that's just me. Rafiki's like, no, 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 like, look harder, he's there. And as Simba looks again into the pond, the water sort of starts to ripple, and his reflection changes from himself into the image of his dad, and he sees his dad within him in the, in the reflection. And as this happens, his dad appears in the sky, Mufasa, right, the ghost of Mufasa appears, 
And he tells Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba's like, no, dad, like I couldn't forget you, right? Like he blames himself for, for his father's death. He's like, I've never forgotten you. And then Mufasa tells Simba what I think is probably the most powerful words that I have heard in a Disney movie ever. He tells Simba, you have forgotten who you are and you have forgotten me. Simba, you are more than who you have become. You are my son and the one true king. You must go back and take your place in the circle of life. And gosh, I just, I get chills every time I like hear those words or I see that scene in the movie because gosh, there's, there's just so much truth to that, right? Like when we forget who we are, that we are sons and daughters of God the Father, and we forget that we, we like serve a king who loves us and has adopted us into our family, we're not able, we're not able to go back, right, and, and help other people. Like Simba, when he was away in the jungle, and he was just like doing his own thing, he's like, I don't have any worries, like I'm just gonna care about me, right? Meanwhile, Scar has enslaved all of the lions. There's a drought in the Pride Lands. People are dying. There's like a great need in his kingdom, and he has forgotten who he is, so he's not able to go back and to help those who need it most. And that's what happens with us. When we forget who we are, we're not able to turn and help the people in our life that need it most. And so that kind of brings me, just to my last point, um, that just like Simba has a kingdom, we all, in our own individual lives, like we have a kingdom, so to speak, or a circle of influence. And there are people in your life who need to know the message of the gospel, that Jesus has died on the cross, he's taken our sins, and he's risen from the dead so that we can have new life. And if, if we don't go and we don't share that message, right, people might never hear it. They might never know. And it's not... I don't, I don't say that to make you like, be like, oh, like it's all on me, or like I have to do all this stuff. And you might be like, I don't even know how to do that, right? <laughs> like, um, it's not meant to like put a pressure, but it's meant to like share an urgency. Um, there's an urgency for us every single day to encounter the risen Christ face to face. There's an urgency for us to share that with other people as well in our lives that need us. And so lastly, um, I also want to say, if you're sitting in the audience and you're like, this is like a great talk and everything, but I actually don't feel like I have encountered the risen Christ. I don't feel like I have met him. I don't feel like I know him. And therefore, I don't think I can actually go and share him with other people. Um, if, that's, if that's you, I just want to say that is totally okay. Um, that we all, yeah, we all come at different places in our journey, at different walks of life and different backgrounds and different experiences, even with Christianity or with the Lord. Um, and I want to say, like, yeah, that, that's, like, part of the reason why we're here tonight. It's not just because, like, oh, I've met, met Jesus, like, check the box, like, okay, I'm going to go on my way. No, like, we have to, like, constantly every day encounter him. And, um, yeah, it's, it's nev- nothing ever that's on our part to be, like, I have to facilitate this encounter with Jesus. Like, I'm going to go and meet him. Um, in the scriptures, when he rises from the dead and then he meets the different um, when he reveals himself to like his disciples or to Mary Magdalene, it's always on the invitation of Jesus that he reveals himself. So no matter where you are tonight, right, like maybe you feel like Mary Magdalene and you have met Jesus before and you're waiting by the empty tomb and you're desiring so badly to see him again, like Jesus wants to come and he wants to reveal himself to you. Or maybe you feel like you are the apostles that are waiting in the upper room and you're hiding in fear. 
And if that's you, like Jesus, he wants to come and he wants to meet you. Or maybe you feel like more like the apostles who um, on the road to Emmaus, they turned away and they actually were leaving Jesus. They were leaving Jerusalem. They didn't, they didn't believe anymore um, in the Lord. And Jesus comes on his initiative. He encounters them where they are. And Jesus wants to meet you if you're in that place tonight. So in a moment, we're about to um, expose the Lord and put the Eucharist um, within on the altar. Um, and so we know and we believe that this is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, who will be present with us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And it is the promise, and it's the invitation tonight to just make a simple prayer and a simple act of faith. Right? Like, Lord, I want, I want to know you. I want to meet you. Will you please reveal yourself as the resurrected Christ to me? Amen. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at CTK is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.